hey, welcome to this week's episode of the Making Disciples Everyday Podcast. My name is Jason Dukes on team with Brentwood Baptist with my friend, also on team here, Paul Wilkinson. And we have... Present and accounted. There you go. And we have as our special guest, featured guest this week on the podcast, the good Reverend Dr. Ken... Core, although I don't think he goes by that title necessarily. I'm glad to be here <laughs> by whatever title. <laughs> well, Ken, we're glad you're here, and and what we're going to focus on in today's podcast is is something I know that's meaningful to you, and something I know that at least the two of us um, appreciate and 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 understand how significant it is in the or slightly understand I'll say for myself try to understand yeah. I'll say it that way yeah try to understand how how significant it is in this effort of not only making disciples but even just being a disciple of Jesus and and what that could mean and and that's a focus on emotional health and mental health and depression just different elements of our emotional and mental health and how it affects us our identity our security, our purpose, the things we can do, can't do, the things we think, and all that. So we'll dive into some of those different aspects. Good. But before we do, just so that our listeners are familiar with who you are, some of them may already know you, but Mm -hmm. for those that may not, give a little bit of who you are, a little bit of background, and just however much you're willing to share. Sure. Uh, I am the Congregational Care Minister here at Brentwood. I've been here for 11 years. And uh, my background, I was a senior pastor for um, 28 years. I was a campus minister at Houston Baptist University for two years, Um, did a counseling degree, uh, went back to school and finished that and worked for a while in a dual diagnosis treatment center as an inpatient therapist, and then have been at Brentwood Baptist for 11 years. And congregational care covers a multitude of sins, let me tell you. We do a lot of things. We're in charge of the pastoral care, which primarily in our church is deacons in the hospitals every day. Uh, We are responsible for the benevolence ministry, so taking care of uh, human needs, primarily financial. Uh, We do the um, support groups, so not life groups and discipleship, but support things like divorce care, grief share, depression support, mental health uh, support for families. Uh, Our office also coordinates the funerals. Uh, We coordinate the weddings. And um, the main time that I spend, the main way that I spend my time, though, is in counseling, assessment, and referral. We don't do the therapy here at Brentwood Baptist, but we have tried to identify therapists in the community, all of whom are licensed, all of whom are Christian believers, all of whom have different areas of specialty. So uh, we try to make sure that we align, align you with someone that has some area of training in your area of need, uh, but also is going to share your faith perspective, your Christian worldview. And also a, a big thing about it, too, is developing rapport. So I try to match people with personalities, yeah. and that's pretty huge. So that's most of what we do. Other things as assigned, like podcast today. <laughs> that's right. And you were, you, we're glad, we're grateful that you took the assignment oh, of, of joining us. Thank you for the inviting me. And thanks for all you do. I think, I think um, at the risk of flattering you, I think a lot of what you do is so often unseen that, you know, people may see the outcomes of it, for instance, a wedding or a funeral, or they may see a deacon that shows up when they're in the hospital or, 
But so much of what you do, even the way you relate with local counseling groups and the way that you engage with people, our congregation, and do walk with them and refer them, just thank you for that. I, I know it's so unseen and often you may not get the different uh, kudos for the value of it, but it's incredibly significant. Well, you're gracious. Actually, I'm at that place in my career now where the better uh, or the less seen I am, the better off I am. So I I don't mind that at all. And I'll tell you this, the the most rewarding thing about what we do in pastoral care is the impact it has on individual lives. We're probably never going to be the ones that are going to be up front yeah. uh, and the face of the church, but we work behind the scenes with issues and cares and concerns that most people really don't want to see, uh, but that's critical in ministering to the needs. And I think it's right in line with your idea about how does mental health affect discipleship. Yeah. I mean, it's critical for that. Great stuff. Well, let's dive right in. I mean, generally speaking, would you say that the big C church, the more American church, or even just broadly speaking, do you feel like it's adequately addressed emotional and mental health, uh, somewhat addressed it, or woefully left it unaddressed? (laughs) Woefully left unaddressed. And and I think there have been some reasons for that. Um, For a long time, I think, in in the general culture, there was a disconnect between psychology and faith. Hmm. Maybe some of that goes back to Sigmund Freud when psychology was becoming recognized as a legitimate science, and Freud had no place for religion. Uh, And then I think there was a disconnect, too, between medical science and faith. How do you connect those two? Uh, And so I think that people did not look to the church for that kind of help. So uh, th- there was a little bit of, all right, this is science over here. Go go to those people for that. This is faith over here. Come to us for that. Yeah. So dramatic either or. Yeah, it was an e- either or. I think the other thing that happened, too, is a lot of people have not really understand mental health, mm. and so they see it as a faith problem, not really a medical problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're only now learning more and more about brain science and brain chemistry. We didn't know that before. So many times if people came with depression, they didn't really go to the church because they would get an, an attitude that, well, if you just prayed more or yeah. if you believe more, if you had more faith or you just need to lead this uh, to God. And so they, they felt in some ways dismissed. And I think the church has been a little bit dismissive. I think the other thing the church has struggled with is what it really is our area of expertise. That's, that's not what we do. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not mental health professionals. In fact, someone with my background and degree is pretty rare in a church to yeah. have a, uh, a, a master of divinity, a doctor of ministry, and then a counseling degree on the side. But one of the things that I discovered was I was doing counseling anyway. I might as well go back to school and learn something sure. about what I'm doing. Sure. So people do come to the church. They look to the church. I think many times the church is the first area of in which they turn, but the church hasn't always known exactly how to respond to that. I will say even though woefully bad in, in the past, we're trying to catch up. There's, yeah. there's a new um, appreciation for the science behind mental health and a recognition that you cannot separate mind, body, and spirit. Sure. Whenever we try to make a distinction between those, we always get in trouble. That's great. And I love how you, how you, how you wrapped that thought because I, 
I do think in some ways we're making a little bit, even if it's baby steps, we're making progress just overall. But I think it's, I think where you've seen it when it has been healthy, like what you said, it's been a minister that's relational, Mm -hmm. who actually does care about Mm -hmm. the whole person who cares about the the mind, body, spirit, not just getting someone plugged into this or signed up for this or show up to this or, and it's not, I don't mean that coldly. I just mean the relational nature of probably how you were a shepherd and a leader mm-hmm. probably is what made you go, you know what? I should know a little more about mm-hmm. this anyway. I'm doing it right. And because well, in my, in my, my, own, too, like, my own life experience, uh, I found that therapy was helpful for me. Mm. Uh, I was in the pastorate, uh, becoming overwhelmed with ministry needs, uh, having lots of people come to me. It was very difficult in the life and work of the church to admit as senior pastor that I was struggling. Yeah. Um, so I found a therapist outside the church, and out of that, my own personal journey, yeah. I found the, that the real benefit of working with a trained therapist that actually knows what they're doing. Absolutely. And so then I, I realized people were coming to me to get the same kind of help, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was not a trained therapist. So I think that would made a huge difference. And I, I think a lot of times people don't really know where to go. They, they want to find help, and so they come to the church first because that's one place they know that they have been loved, they can be loved. And I think that's why we have sort of a burden to, to provide resources for our church family that we have vetted, Yeah, that, that I will send you to a therapist that I think would be not only helpful, who's trained in your area, but also is going to share your faith hmm. and can honor that part of you. That's good. So talk about that. I mean, we 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 have in our mission statement, the statement, the idea, it's a clear, explicit notion that we want to engage the whole person with the whole gospel. That's important. But talk about why that's important. We, you've been touching on it, but just specific even to our mission. Yeah, let me go back to the idea that there's a direct connection between mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. I am pretty convinced that if you're out of harmony in any one of those areas, you're going to be out of harmony in all those areas. You you can't just break off my spiritual life as being separate from my physical well-being, because if I'm not healthy, if I'm not well, it's going to impact the way that I think about my faith and if I have emotional issues. So as an example, I'll give you an example I've been dealing with recently. Let's suppose that someone comes to you out of great life disappointment. Hmm. Uh, they've prayed. God didn't answer the prayer exactly. They're facing some decisions as a family. Life is not going well. So out of that disappointment, which I would think of as a mental, emotional issue, Mm -hmm. uh, that reflects then on their faith in God. Can I really trust God if God doesn't come through the way that I expect? So I don't think that you you can separate that emotional component from their spiritual component, they're going to overlap each other in a lot of different ways. So let's suppose someone is really dealing with depression. Now, let's suppose it's clinical depression. It's not situational. So they've been dealing with this for a while. That person, unless we treat that depression, and probably we're going to start with some type of medication support, we're going to get them into either a depression support group or some individual therapy. Mm-hmm. If that person doesn't get that kind of help, probably just sitting in a life group or listening to a sermon on Sunday morning is not going to help them get out of that 
particular funk. And so they won't have the energy and the enthusiasm that we're calling them to have. You know, they won't be able to live out their call sure. in the same way. Now, I go back and say the same thing. If you got somebody that's dealing with a health issue, whatever that is, gallbladder problem maybe, you know, they're still not going to be able to live out their life calling in ministry until they get the physical health thing going. And an example of that, we now know that exercise has a direct connection to mood. Hmm. Uh, When you exercise, uh, norepinephrine, one of the brain hormones gets activated. That's a mood manager. Uh, Your dopamine gets activated. That's a uh, feel-good hormone. So I'm just going to be better in life if I exercise. So if you come to me for depression, one of the questions I'm going to ask is, are you exercising? Hmm. We're going to talk about diet. And then we're going to talk about, are you part of a small group? Hmm. Who, what, what is, does your support system look like? Yeah. Let's get connected to people who share life with you, who share faith with you. What are the spiritual disciplines that you're using? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Suddenly you go from physical health to emotional health to spiritual health, and those are all connected. And you definitely see it. I can speak from the adult group side because that's what I take care of here is one of the first indicators is that they quit coming to group. Yes, exactly. And right. So just like you've indicated, there's something going on physically or emotionally that has caused them to retreat from what I would argue is their key support key support system. Mm-hmm. And, and those are all important. And there are times I've told people, you know, I can send you to a therapist, but for your particular need, if you've got a good friend that you mm-hmm. could take to Starbucks once a week, It'll cost you $10. Now, the therapist will be got to listen to you, but it'll cost you $125 for the same thing. Sometimes, now, there are times when people need more than that, but sometimes all people need is a person in their life that can listen objectively, that can have rapport, mm-hmm. that can build relationship, that can give you support. And you'd be surprised a number of our people, especially our men, mm. have nobody in their lives that they yeah. can actually share with. Yeah. yeah, I think it's Larry Crabb, if I remember correctly from reading... This was a, some years ago, but I think I remember reading Larry Crabb write. He's convinced, or at least was at that time, this was like 15 years ago, he was convinced that about 90% of the emotional issues he saw in his own uh, practices or ministry, he felt like if those people were actually living in life-giving community, with other people that they would not have those issues. Is, would you agree with that? Yeah, and we're well. I don't know about the ninety percent. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, but I, the, absolutely, he's I agree out, with that. It's a high number. I think it's a what high he's number, to say, yeah. and it's getting harder and harder and harder to find yeah. life-giving community. Yeah, and I think that's another one of the places where the church can offer something to people that the the world out there can't. Yeah. Um, and but we, oftentimes the very people that drop out are the ones that need it the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So pretend like for just a minute, and I'm going to ask this two different ways. But pretend like we're with some of our other paid staff, some of our other paid leaders, and you're just giving them a couple thoughts on why this is so significant and what they need to be aware of or thinking about. And then I'm going to ask the same question on just you're you're not a paid person. You're one of our members, and 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 you want to be aware of how significant this really is. What are a couple things you might say to a paid staff that might be even a little bit different from what you'd say to someone else? I, that's a great question, Jason. Because I'm not sure I would I would make it a different. Um, 
I think that one of the things that people need most is 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 to have people in their lives who simply have their antennas up and can ask the right kinds of questions. Yeah. You know, just to simply say, you know, Paul, Jason, how are you doing today? You're going to get the answer. I'm I'm good. But if you're alert enough and intuitive enough, you can see when that's really not true. Yeah. So maybe that's not the question we need to be asking. <laughs> sure. Uh, maybe something like Paul, just being around you the time I've I've been around you, I'm noticing that there's something a little different today. Is there something we could talk about together? Could we have coffee and talk? Most people will respond to that, yeah. Um, but it's seldom that they're ever asked that because there are times I've had people say, you know, I knew there's something wrong with Paul. I could tell his spirit wasn't exactly right. What did you say to him? Well, I didn't, I didn't really say anything. I didn't know what to say, you know. So I think that part of what I think we need to do yeah. just as people, loving people, is to learn to not be afraid to ask, are you doing uh, well today? I sense there's something is wrong. Not be afraid to ask that and be available when people do want to talk. Yeah. yeah. Available. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, too, is if I ask that question then I've, I'm committed to the That's next right. 30 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Can I really invest that kind of time and also that kind of energy? I would also say to all of them in terms of advice giving, get over the idea that I may say the wrong thing. Yeah. Who knows what the right thing or the wrong thing is to say to anyone? Uh, I, I work with some interns through the Trevecca Counseling Program, and I tell them all the time, "Don't let me disabuse you of the notion there's a right way to do therapy and there's a wrong way. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to say the, the wrong thing. But who knows? I mean, every every person that walks in the room is different. So if I taught you a technique yeah. that supposedly is the right technique, that would be a terrible mistake. So I think that part of it is getting over the idea that I'm going to say something wrong and be available to people. They're hurting people. Here's a statistic that will be interesting to you. Hmm. It's, it's estimated that 6% of our adult population at any one particular time. So right now, this moment, 6% of the adult population is act- is actively considering suicide. Mm. So let's say Sunday morning, yeah. 9.30 worship service. There are approximately, what would you say, 1,200 people in the sanctuary? In that past Sunday, literally 1,200. Mike Glenn is looking at 1,200 people. Right now in that group, there's about 70 to 75 people who are mm. actively considering suicide. Now, the other figure is only about one out of every two or 300 will attempt, and even fewer of those will actually succeed. So they're not going to walk out and shoot themselves. Sure. But it says a lot about the type of despair that people walk into the church at any one time. So just walk down to the cafe right now. Six percent of the people in here probably are struggling at some level. Yeah. I think if we began to think about it in those terms, we would listen and we would approach people a little bit differently. Yeah, and I love what you said. A couple of things you said I want to touch on, but but one in particular is just as much as it's not that you're going to say the wrong thing, don't don't think that even your words are going to become the fixer at that point either, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, sometimes it's just the availability yeah. and the presence. Sometimes it's just that you asked and actually took the time to yep. sit down, you know. That and there's somebody in my world that actually cares yes, about me. Yes, I mean, that that makes the world a difference. Mm-hmm. And and I think it goes back to what, an episode we had recently on Sabbath, which I think became our most listened to episode to this point, if that says anything about our need for Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But the the we have to have margin to do that. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, I think that's a challenge to all of us is, do you have the margin to even be that kind of friend? And if not, will you make it? Because Yeah, it and if not, what does that say about us? Yes. Because that probably says that we are becoming less available to really be ministers in the world. No question. And and I want to get away from professional clergy. Mm-hmm. That's the reason I guess I'm not going to say something a whole lot different to the staff or the ministers here and just the average layperson. Yeah. I think we're all called to be ministers in the world. We're talking a lot now about gospel conversations. Sure. Uh, I think a gospel conversation can't always begin with, and again, I go back to mind, body, spirit being connected. It can always begin with just, I see something in you today that seems off. Would you like to talk? That can be a gospel conversation right there. Just the invitation. Yeah. Might be the best one. Exactly. Absolutely. And I would also say, I have learned through the years that it's not so much what you say. You mentioned it a moment ago. Don't get away from the idea that we're going to fix this. It's the people who try to fix that sometimes do the most damage. That's right. Don't try to fix anything. We have professional resources. If that's the next step that's really needed, just be there for that person. And uh, if we can learn to do that and get away from our fear and provide the margin and take whatever necessary steps we need with this person to get them help, we'll be fine. And, you know, someone might who's listening might say, well, what does this have to do with disciple making? I mean, it has all to do with it. Like you, you know, we've tried to say it over and over again. We're not asking you and I don't think Jesus even intended for us to make 52 disciples over the course of our life. He himself focused on three and 12, Mm -hmm. but, you know, let's say it's one every few years even, which would be huge if I think God's spirit is leading us in that way. Just if you don't make the margin for these kinds of relationships to pay attention and be aware of the the mind, body, spirit of another human being, Mm -hmm. it's likely that you're not going to even discover Right, who, and, and I'll give you who a biblical example of that. Be. All right, so Jesus is on his way. Is it Jairus' house where the daughter is about yeah. to yep. die? Uh, it's critical. Here's a young adult that is in a very bad place. As he's going through the crowds, he's touched. Hmm. He pauses and said, somebody touched me. Well, okay, Jesus, that's good, but we're in a hurry. Let's yeah. get to this house. And I think the fact that Jesus could have the kind of sensitivity to be aware that there's an immediate need and that he's able to meet both needs. I think we have to give God credit for meeting the needs that are going to be out there that maybe we don't get to, but this one is right in front of me. And we might miss the ones right in front of us for the ones that we think are down the road. And I think that's one of the things we have to do. If Jesus could make margin, how much more can we? But he made margins simply by being aware yeah. of what's in the room right now. Well, you mentioned gospel conversations. And in, in the first round of training for that that we did back in the fall of 2018 across all of our campuses, I, I, I genuinely, and I'm not fishing for a compliment in return for this negative statement that I'm about to make about myself, <laughs> I, I genuinely think I disappointed at least half the people that showed up because I, we spent so much of our time talking about two basic things. One was, will you simply try to love people and notice who welcomes relationship? Right? And, and as simple as that practice or that effort seems, it's paramount when it comes to gospel conversations and making disciples. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, and then the second one was learn how to be a better listener and question asker, right? And, you know, because I think some people signed up and showed up for those trainings thinking, give me the five best ways to share the gospel and make sure my neighbor gets saved. And and that may not be the best approach, right? Even like you said a while ago, this may be the best approach is f- figure out what the emotional dilemma and struggle is for someone that you keep bumping into, <laughs> that God's Spirit seems to be running you into, so to speak, right? And I tell you a skill that we, we're really lacking in as a culture, and I think we lack in as ministers too oftentimes, the, the skill is empathic listening. Hmm. And what I mean by that is you're not listening necessarily to the words, you're listening to the feeling behind the words. Yeah. Because we can mask a lot with our words, but if you can listen to listen for the feeling, uh, one of the little phrases that we use a lot in in training our therapist is follow the affect. Hmm. Uh, when the emotion or the affect appears in the room, go there yeah. rather than all the other stuff they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you can get very caught up in what you need to do next hmm. rather than what are you feeling now? Yeah. What, what does that indicate about you? And I think that's one of the things that's developing the kind of sensitivity you're talking about with the gospel conversations. I think it has to begin with learning how to listen, but listen empathically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we need that even with ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even that that preaching the gospel to ourselves. So, and I appreciate you not necessarily distinguishing between the professional clergy, as some might say, and the laity, as some might say, but... And, and and I loved how you answered that and put them together. I think I think in some ways our paid leaders around here, you know, we, we're wanting them to be aware of this and also be able to help our people be more aware of it. Yes. And the best way to do that is them, them being aware of it as well. So there's folks listening. Maybe they're struggling in their own ways. What, what, what are what's a litmus test? Maybe that's a good place to start. Like, how do you help them kind of process? Okay, am I really struggling? And then, do I really need to get help? Is it just that I need to go to Starbucks and hang with a friend? I mean, like, give some encouragement to this those listening about maybe their own emotional and mental health and things that they maybe want to be aware of. I, I would. The first thing I want to encourage people to do is be willing to talk to someone. Hmm. Uh, invariably the people actually get help will say, well, I finally broke down and, and call somebody. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a trained therapist. It can start with just a best friend. Yeah. But I would say, look in your life. If there's nobody in your life you feel like you can talk to, then you're probably already in trouble. Yeah. And we need to find somebody. So if you don't have anybody, you finally say, that's not going to happen for me. Call me and I can get you connected to a therapist. <laughs> but I would say to start there. Just who in your life can you talk to? And I give an example of that I, I meet with our divorce care group once every every session that we have here, just to do a question answer time. And and I'll get a question like, "How can I not make the same mistake next time? Hmm. The person I married ended up not working out. How can I not make the mistake?" And I will say something like, "How many of you have family and friends in your life?" who before you married this person said, you don't need to marry that person. You know, every hand goes up. And I will say then learn to listen to the people that love you. Hmm. Now, that's for divorce. I'm not talking about divorce today. But I would say learn to listen to the people that love you. If you've got family or friends who are saying, you know, Tom, John, Sue, Sarah, you probably need to look at your life. Your Things are getting out of balance. You're drinking too much. Hmm. 
you're isolating too much, whatever, whatever it is they're saying. We notice that there's a change in mood for you. You, you seem to have a depressed mood. Uh, I would say it's at that point when you listen to the people around you that really love you, it's time to go get some help. They may not be the best people to talk to because now you're going to uh, engage their anxiety if they see that you're in trouble, but finding somebody that can listen objectively to you. Now, in terms of just clinical work, there are some very clear symptoms that will emerge. If you're not sleeping, we, we probably need to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, if you find that you just want to isolate and you're not enjoying any of the activities you're involved in, so suddenly you're, you're staying home all the time, that's something we probably ought to talk about. Um, if you have fatigue, even when you do sleep, but you just have a hard time putting your feet on the floor and, and getting up and going during the day, that's something we ought to talk about. So those would be some symptoms I'd begin to look for. Um, now with anxiety, what you may have is ruminating thoughts. I just get this thought in my head and I can't get it out of my head and I lay at night and I just think over and over and over that maybe we need to talk about that. And so I would, I would say that, uh, the first thing is who in my life is telling me, wake up, there's some things going on. And then if I see some real mental health symptoms, if you're starting to have, um, suicidal thinking, now, let me let me differentiate here. There's a difference between suicidal thinking and suicidal ideation, where you're actually starting yeah. to plan what you're going to yeah. do. It's not all that unusual for somebody to think it'd just be better if I weren't here. That that can be just a sign of disappointment. But that if that's happening very often, then we probably ought to talk. Let's get yeah. some professional help. Yeah, that's good. So it's similar. I know the answers will be somewhat similar, and you've touched on some of these things, but more explicitly somebody's listening and maybe they have someone in their life that they're worried about what what can they do what what are some some simple steps that they can take well let me begin with prayer and yeah. i'm convinced that prayer does make a difference so i'm going to always start there don't don't minimize the importance and the difference it can make if somebody's praying for you on a regular basis yeah. and we're going to pray and not give not give up um if we have to make this person an object of prayer every single day for the next 10 years, we're going to do that. So I would think that prayer is going to be the first thing. I would say if you've got somebody you're really concerned about, the next step is to go to them and simply say, I'm concerned. Again, that having somebody in your life that sees. Now, getting people to get help, even just because you see that they need help, may not be the easiest thing. But I'm not going to leave them alone and, and later on say, well, I wish I'd said something. Go ahead and say something now. Yeah. I think that can be huge in people's lives. Uh, if you need some resources, call the church. If you're saying, I'm going to recommend, do you have somebody you can recommend uh, for this particular thing? Call the church and we can make sure that we get you connected to the right resources of help. And um, just just make sure that they know that you're aware that you, and you, that you're concerned. It's good. That's really good. Anything you jumping out to you? No, I think uh, Ken's hit on so many good things. We see loneliness rising amongst our population, mm-hmm. and um, you know Ken's advice: invite people into your life, be more sensitive and aware, and be present with them is is just crucial. Uh, literally adding years back onto people's lives mm-hmm. uh, could be the result of that. And then just my thankfulness for Ken. Um, just knowing you're back there with your crew and your interns and your other people has given me confidence in many moments to tackle things I probably wouldn't have, uh, to know you're there as a backstop to support and help. If we get stuck, you're always available. It's just such a crucial thing. And 
I really encourage anybody listening or anybody you know who might uh, need it to reach out because it's it's effective and helpful and it's some steps in a healthy spiritual direction for sure. Thank you, Paul. I'll tell you this too. We're very fortunate that we have a senior pastor who values this kind of work and understands it. He has a clinical pastoral education background, so he understands the clinical piece and and you hear that really coming out in the sermon sometimes. He's yeah. very uh, open to receptive to mental health issues. And I think you both are right. It it is growing in our culture in our culture. Yeah. Um and I think that a lot of the social media has something to do with that that we just don't connect anymore other than through Facebook Not deeply or, anyways. Yeah, that's ex- deeply. Yeah. And I, that's maybe what I mean by connecting. I, I think it's one thing to send a tweet. It's another thing to actually have a conversation. Mm. Well, and, 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 and at the risk of sounding silly about it, the how much people who tweet or Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or we, you know, WeChat or all the other things, how much we do that and actually hope someone likes or responds mm-hmm. or comments is an indication of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think that's the loneliness yeah. that we're seeing that's on the rise in, in a very alarming way is we're all longing for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we want somebody to actually think that was a cool picture too, or a cool moment too, or a great thought, or, you know, we, we want to have that feedback or we have an opinion that we want to share. And man, it's almost like though we've lost the ability to converse about it. We've only now grown in being able to assert about it. And yeah. And think about that too. Here I am sitting here. I'm hoping somebody will see and respond and like a lot of that goes back to self identity issues. Sure. Who am I? Am I liked? Am I loved? Do I have anything to offer? That goes back to a spiritual issue. That's right. You know, what has God made me for? Am I uniquely uh, created? Uh, and am I deeply loved? And I think here again, you got this idea. How do we go from wanting my Facebook post to be liked to my identity in Jesus Christ? Yeah. They're directly related. Right. Sure. And I think if we could get back to having depth in our spiritual lives, uh, we would not have so much difficulty with our emotional lives. Yeah, let that be a challenge to we uh, who want to be disciple makers and find yeah. our, as Jason likes to say, identity, security, purpose in Christ. Uh, let us put those empathic listening tools that Ken talked about to work Absolutely. to hear these people, to make them feel uh, valued because we honestly do, because Christ does. And uh, it all sort of cascades out of there. I'll give an example of that too. Just today, I've been meeting with a, a prayer group. Uh, for the 11 years that I've been here, started with Jim Jenkins and his discipleship team, and it, it's grown. So they're a group of ministers that meet every Wednesday at 10 o'clock for prayer. Mm. I can tell you that uh, there's a group of folks who know just about everything about me because we've been talking and sharing. They've seen <laughs> my children grow up. Uh, they've seen us go through loss of family members. Mm. Uh, there, There's not anything I think that I could not share with that group. And I don't know what I would do. My life would be very diminished if mm. I did not have that. So I would encourage anybody that's listening today, if you're not part of a life group where you really are connected in a deep and meaningful way, if you're in a life group that doesn't know you, find a different group where you can be yeah. known. Because if you're not known, you're not, you don't know that you're loved. Right. And that's what we all need. We need to have a group of folks who connect with us. And I would say if you can't find that, then start one. So good. Paul will support you. <laughs> yeah. He will. All, I mean, that's he's all in favor that. of that. That's right. I'll that's probably right. be the first member. We'll do it. Well, and I love that you said that. I think the, I think 
there's stigmas, right? And I think we need to challenge those who are listening. And if you know someone, someone that maybe holds the stigma, you know, don't just think of a life group or a group like that as a Bible study. Don't right. just think of it as, a, you know, I've got, I need that for my own self-development. You know, like, like, don't, don't just think of it like that. Think of it more like what we're talking mm-hmm. about, that, that this is a chance to learn the gospel, to learn Jesus, to learn his rhythms and his life and his kingdom and my own significance to him, to him, I'm worth dying for. And he needed a small life group. Yes, even the Son of <laughs> he God. He created his own little Even small the Son life of group. God that's started exactly. his own little, that's right. And I think that's true. You remember when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he wants them to stay up yeah, and pray. Takes with him. Him. That's right. Uh, he needs that kind of emotional support because life is hard. Let's just yeah. agree with that. You're about to face it regardless what you're going through right now or what may be coming your way. And we don't, we don't live life well alone. That's right. Well, last question. So I think it, I hope, I hope that our listeners are hearing why emotional, why mental health is so important, even in the idea, idea of being a disciple and making disciples with Jesus. I wonder what you would think about this statement and we'll kind of wrap with this. Trevin Wax, a writer, a blogger, uh, works with Lifeway, and they're, um, I think, now overseeing their biblical division. And uh, he, in a recent book called This Is Our Time, he makes the statement that everyone interprets truth through their emotions. All right, let me respond to that in a couple of different ways. One is, is there a difference between a psychological experience and a religious experience? Hmm. Because anything you experience religiously comes through your psyche. That's right. That's why we call psychology psychology. It's the Greek word psyche, which means soul. So I think that is exactly right. You interpret everything through your own personal lens, through your own personal experience. We do a premarital course. It starts with the family of origin because what we basically say is you're about to marry a family. You think you're about to marry a person. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Even if you never are around that family, you can move a thousand miles away with family comes with you because that's what's influenced us. Uh, so you interpret all of life, yeah. your marriage, your spirituality, all truth. You interpret it through your own life experience and that is a psychological experience. So I, th- I think he's exactly on target. But I, again, I think, again, let's don't delineate psyche as, I mean, as psychology is just medical, medicine, science. Let's think of it as soul work. Yeah. Psychology yeah, is I think that's what you're saying. Being in this community, developing your Christian worldview, having the support of other believers, all of that, I guess, Christ so to speak, your psyche. Yes. Yeah. So now you're interpreting it in the way Christ would, right. the power of the Spirit and so forth. Right. Yeah, because that's what, that's what it seems like the, the Scriptures call wisdom. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just knowing more God stuff or knowing more things that make you seem like a sage. It's, it's this, incre- this, this kind of very relational, earthly sense of taking what I feel emotionally filtering it through what is true about me and about God and about reality, and then allowing that to begin to shape how I see myself and how I see others, right? I think the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is information. Wisdom is information that has been processed through life. Yeah. And I think think what I want to, the reason I wanted to wrap with that is I want to encourage our listeners, 
I, th- I believe, you tell me if, if you disagree with this, I think especially in the 20th century, we walked through a season of the American church where many evangelicals pushed back on emotion. There, were, there was a group who didn't, and they would often be criticized or made fun of, but we probably went overboard. And, and so I, I would say that even as you're thinking about the scriptures, as you're thinking about disciple making, as you engage with people, if we leave out the in- incredible influence that our emotions have on the ways that we process the teachings of Jesus, the reading of scriptures, the things that we hold up and say, oh, these things are important, right? Like, if we leave out how significant and influential our emotions are in the way we engage with that, I think we're failing each other. I agree with that. You know, emotions are hard. Everybody's going to bring their emotions with them to church. It's what we do with those, how we honor those. Can we honor those in a way that's healthy or does it become unhealthy? What we'd refer to as emotionalism. Yeah, yeah. That's not something we're trying to encourage, but we're also trying to say your emotions are a part of you. And, you know, the, the reality is if you get caught up in a, spiritually moment, a spiritual moment, an authentic spiritual moment, not something that just manufactured, but sure. if, it's an, if it's a God encounter, let me tell you, there's emotion in sure. there. <laughs> sure, that's right. You can't avoid it. So I think what we've got to find a way in church is to honor these emotions that people bring in the door, give them a way to verbalize those or experience those that's healthy. Yeah. And then the ones that aren't healthy, we try to find some resource that can give you some help. And there are resources out there today. That's great. That's great. Well, Ken, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for being with us on this episode. And we say it at the end of every, every episode. If we've said something that 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 uh, brought up a question or a thought or something you want to, someone wants to send in to us, you can email either Paul or me. Uh, jdukes at brentwoodbaptist.com or pwilkinson at brentwoodbaptist.com and and I think Ken would be, I'm not going to give his email out necessarily, but our phone number to Brentwood Baptist is 615-324-6100 if I'm remembering correctly. And as he said earlier, if you're listening out there and, and you know or you yourself are in a situation or you know someone in a situation and you just want to get some help, you're just reaching out saying, what can I do or what are some resources? Yeah, it's K-Core at Brentwood Baptist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Start the conversation. Yeah. There you go. Well, hey, again, thank you, thank you for being with us, and, and we hope this has been an encouragement to you guys. And and uh, be be, be uh, looking out next week. Next week we're going to continue this conversation and uh, take a few minutes to sit down with Scott Sauls, uh, who's written some recently about this as well. So we I, we felt like this was an important enough conversation to at least spend two weeks, if not more, good, good. on it. And so we hope that's going to be encouraging to you guys, and we appreciate you for tuning in.